0: You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, I speak with Father Thomas Keating. Father Keating is a Trappist monk in the Cistercian order. He served as abbot of St. Joseph's Monastery in Spencer, Massachusetts, for 20 years, and now resides at St. Benedict's Monastery in Snowmass, Colorado. He's the author of over 35 books, as well as the Sounds True audio learning course The Contemplative Journey, Contemplation and Transformation from Christianity's Mystical Tradition. Father Keating is one of the architects of the Contemporary Centering Prayer Movement, a Christian contemplative practice in which practitioners invite and receive the presence of the Divine. Recently, Sounds True recorded a complete home study course on Centering Prayer, This is a course that we have also developed into an online learning course that will begin on January 20th, 2010 at SoundsTrue.com. During the recording of this Centering Prayer course, we recorded most of the material on video and then some of the guided meditations on audio, I had the chance to interview Father Thomas Keating. He was 85 at the time of this interview, and we'll listen to it now on Insights at the Edge. In part two of this interview with Father Thomas Keating, we discuss death, the afterlife, and the transformative process that occurs when one engages regularly with the practice of centering prayer. Here's part two of my interview with Father Thomas Keating. Now, it seems like from hearing you, uh, Teach on this course on Centering Prayer you've talked several times about the uh, tremendous unbelievable power of facing God in its total rawness and immensity and that at the moment of our death our physical death some kind of experience may open up for us at least this is how I've understood you and I want you to correct me if I'm wrong some kind of experience may happen for us at the time of physical death that is not available to us as long as we're incarnated in bodies and, and have th- these forms to work with. Is that correct? Do you think there's something that happens at the time of physical death that we can't experience until we actually physically die?
1: Well, uh, that's my guess. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> because all, most of our troubles are in the brain. That's, those are the habits of thinking that are unquestioned or that have been the habits of years. So when the brain dies, all of the background material and context or the unconscious influences of our, even our genetic or ancestral influences or the influence of the collective unconscious, what a, a new field of investigation, everything is gone. And so for the first time in our conscious life, We can make a totally free choice. And if that choice is made in the presence of God, there's only one answer. One will plunge into that immensity of of love uh, irresistibly. So what is separating us from God primarily is the thought that we're separated from God. When that dies, There's no more separation, is there? That's at least my reasoning of the process. I haven't been through this, by the way. (laughs) I haven't even had a near-death experience that lots of people have had.
0: And when a, a great saint dies, a great person dies, and then afterwards future generations have some feeling often that they're accessing the energy and the blessing power of this being. What, what do you think is happening there? Oh,
1: well, it's an exchange of energy that is not well known to us yet, but there are lots of breakthroughs. There's a doctrine that, in the Catholic communion, at least, which is called the communion of saints, which means that the difference of those who have gone before us and us is, is probably very small, and that there's a constant interaction perhaps going on, more clear in some people. So the fact that one's loved one dies isn't the end at all. It's just a call for a new relationship, somewhat like the death of one of our roles is is an invitation to form a new relationship and a new role that is more mature, you might say. So... What were we talking about? I guess
0: we're talking about these uh, great beings oh, who yes. died. Can we access? Well, even them very in some m- way?
1: modest yeah. beings like myself have had uh, wonderful experiences of folks in the next life
0: without trying. I L- mean, like what? I'd be curious about that.
1: Well, I, I sometimes experience the presence of someone that's gone before. I know all kinds of people who, after the death of a loved one, had some kind of very thoughtful reassurance, like like a son who committed suicide. His mother was devastated, and, and in a little prayer group where they laid hands and prayed, she saw him uh, outside the prayer group. And he said uh, to her, everything's okay. So that's all she really needed to hear so I've I've heard that over and over again, and, and sometimes in a deathbed, one's beloved ones who have gone before may join one, and cheer, cheer one along.
0: You mentioned you've had though some experiences in your life related to this. I'd be well. Curious are you about interested that. in yes? Oh <laughs> <Well, laughs> yes. Well,
1: I had a, a, a most uh, moving experience. Uh, in the midst of my uh, exercise of being an abbot and the incredible number of meetings we had in different parts of the world to discuss these changes that I referred to earlier. So we were in Rome at the uh, the end of the council and we decided to take an afternoon off, something of a luxury for Trappist abbots. (laughs) So we went to Anzio Beach. I don't know why we picked that place. And Anzio Beach is where the Italian campaign, the most of the young men are buried. So as I walked into that place, so this is uh, difficult for me to explain because I'm always moved by the sweetness of this experience. But as I walked in there, I felt surrounded by friends. That I couldn't see, as if they were saying, Here's the guy who entered a monastery to pray for us while we were fighting our way up the Po River and being blown to pieces. So I felt this sense of being surrounded by friends and a warmth of affection that was much greater than what you usually get in a party of living adults. So as I walked down the line of, of tombstones, crosses, not tombstones, I guess, and, and some Jewish crosses, I I realized something I had heard uh, when I was uh, given a, a, a deferment to enter a seminary and had misgivings about it because I wanted to be a Trappist, not a diocesan priest. And this uh, saintly pastor said to me this war is not meant for you Mm -hmm. and that was for me a word of wisdom which is a kind of reassurance in a word or two that goes to your heart and you know somehow God is speaking to you or reality is revealing something to you and that you think you understand what it says but it gave me confidence to proceed on that path that I didn't have before Well, as I walked through that cemetery, those words came back to me. Mm. And I realized that they were saying, that that priest was saying, or God was telling me through that priest that I wasn't meant for that war, but that I had another one that I was going to have to go through that was much longer and would last the whole of life, perhaps. Mm. and and they were saying this guy has has a war to go through and now he needs our help more at least that was the thoughts that went through my head I needed their help more than they needed mine so this was this tremendous reciprocal action oneness or unity in which I knew that these people whoever they were loved me and were grateful. But that also my need for them was as great as their need for me in their time. And so it was an enlightened moment for me to see that everything that happens is a social event and there is no private virtues or even private faults or sins that everything we do is affecting everybody else. And when this is is coming out of love or charity, it's extremely powerful. How, I don't know, but it's that kind of love that overcomes all evil and is much more powerful than the accumulation of human ills and brutality and intolerance and indifference that I suppose is sitting in some data bank waiting to be balanced or healed or exterminated by the incredible power of love especially divine love which seeks no reward it's just has to share the goodness that it's received so it's not something you take credit for good deeds as I understand it but it's something you do as a steward of the mercy of God that you've experienced in your own life so it, it 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 makes me feel well overwhelmed by the love of God, which is so human, so tender, so considerate, so wise, and so t- like. There's twenty years or so a difference between the two events in that incident, and yet it it took just the right moment a time when I was most wounded, you might say, Mm -hmm. to communicate a kind of reassurance that was incomparable. I couldn't have thought up, or nobody else could have thought it up. So I, I cannot not believe in the incredible concern that God has for every human being that is expressed in a second, nanosecond of time protection it's not just once in a while it's every moment this reality is is relating with us like an eternal dance in which he leads us and which we're invited to follow and obviously we stumble sometimes but that doesn't interrupt the dance just a part of the learning process. Oh, that's my contribution to your (laughs) request.
0: Well, it's interesting that it it happened during a time of such um, difficulty for you. I mean, interesting that sort of the veils opened during a time of, you know, devastation. But
1: my point is, I'm trying to get, and I'm not succeeding, I'm sure, that this kind of experience is normal, It's what happens all the time. We just don't see it. And it's these moments of awareness that divide the veils, as you say. But the veils are always separated. We just think they've been divided because we hadn't noticed it before. But now we're beginning to notice that God is accompanying us and wants to be our companion at every step, breath, Heartbeat, thought, word, indeed. In other words, there is no other, there is just God, from the perspective of oneness. And there is us on our way to becoming God too, and incorporating this, the dispositions of infinite love in, in our daily lives. And it doesn't matter if you keep failing. That's to be expected. So the bottom line, as far as I can see, is not to be surprised by our faults, disconcerted, but to acknowledge them in all honesty and give them to God as kind of gifts and await the time when he takes them away. To be, as they say in the 12-step program, to be willing that God take away our faults. That's the primary disposition. And then to be content and peaceful in waiting for that to happen.
0: So I want to ask you a question about the, the path, and specifically the path of centering prayer, yes. as it relates to this journey you're talking about, which is the idea that a lay person, someone who's living in the world, can practice centering prayer for 20 minutes twice a day. Is that enough? I mean, is that enough to really. Well, then add some more.
1: <laughs> we are somewhat discreet in our requests, so we start out with something that is reasonably accessible to most people. And we are confident in the dynamic of the experience that even in that brief a time, is enough to initiate or provide a seedbed for divine charity to begin to grow, and then you will feel called to do perhaps other things or more appropriate things as you gain confidence in God and humility to face the dark side of one's personality. I don't think God minds the dark side of our personality, we do. So to put up with it is itself a, a, a great overcoming of the false self. Mm-hmm.
0: It, it seems to me that in an experience of a, of a retreat or a longer period of time, more of that real subterranean material might surface. than It just, would, you know, yeah.
1: and it does. That's why we offer a series of retreats that are graded for further development problem is we haven't figured out a way to provide this free of charge it costs money to have a house or a retreat house yeah. and not everybody can afford to do this so we're, we're interested in the website and it sounds true <laughs> specifically <laughs> as a means of projecting this virtual community with its resources into an audience that we can't attend to ourselves nor can they come to us given the present circumstances of the world so how to bring the love of Christ into accessibility this is what we're about but granted we're just still learning we're just beginning we're only 25 or so years old the tradition is ageless it's it's the foreseen in the, in the Hebrew Bible it's expressed by Christ in that Matthew six six. It's been lived by the early fathers of the church and the desert fathers and mothers and all kinds of Christian communities and contemplative forms of life, as well as in ordinary married life and privately. So we know it's accessible, and, and it it's already, as we uh, indicated in in some of the uh, lectures we offered it's the normal human life is to be a contemplative because it's this that makes one fully human and without it you don't quite see what being human is because you're seeing the whole process at a level that can't give you the answers. I think it's Einstein who said that you can never solve any problem on the same level as the problem. Something like that. So it's by moving to an intuitive level, or as they're now discovering in brain research, moving into a greater integration with the right brain. The left brain is our rational apparatus that is so self-centered that you almost have to have a stroke to recover from it. So it's the right brain that is the intuitive side of the intellect and this, this is what uh, perceives our problems from a level of intuition and insight that is superior to the uh, wisdom available for reason alone or rational thinking
0: I just have one last question here I could talk to you for a very long time but I'm going to wrap it up here yeah. you know, the diminishment that you're describing of the spiritual path the diminishment of the glorious, grand self-project that, that diminishment is not um, uh, popular in the world you don't, you don't get popularity points necessarily for that kind of thing do you know what I mean? Yes. and, and that can be hard I'm going to enter a process. I mean, here you are. You're a monastic. You've signed up for it. You know, uh, uh, other people. You know, I, I mean, I want to be a fabulous whatever, and you know, doing this. But I'm signing up for a diminishment project. Yes. There's a contradiction there that is a hard one to wrestle with.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> well uh, this is God's idea, not mine. <laughs> so uh, and on, so in my view only he can bring it about all I can do is say that it exists so it's between you and God to decide whether it's a possibility more power to you but the more the people who do this the more chance there is of transforming society and the terrible horrors of our present world situation it will not be cured in any other way In other words, only utmost love can overcome utmost violence. Violence is rooted in our animal nature, and until it's integrated into our neocortex and our human brain, and the further levels of consciousness that that uh, rational level opens like a gate into... A whole new aspects of, of human life. Until that happens, I don't know what's going to happen to society. The last hundred years have been absolutely horrendous in human brutality and violence, and the technology is now far exceeding the moral judgment onto its justification. So As technology develops greater and greater weapons of destruction, we really risk the loss of human civilization as we know it if someone starts escalating conventional weapons into nuclear or chemical, biological weapons. And there are people already present in the world who think this is the way to defend yourself. If that was a way of defending oneself in earlier times, it doesn't work anymore. There is no just war, because you can't help but kill an enormous number of innocent people. And the statistics are that if, you, if there is a war, the safest thing to do is to join the military, because the, most people who are killed now are not soldiers civilians, what does that say about justification of war? In any case, these are huge problems that leaders of the world have to face and I really don't know how we can help them to engage in the kind of dialogue, collaboration, negotiation that is essential for human society to survive in such a situation. So, so we d- desperately need to to ask God's help and perhaps the greatest contribution we can make to the society at this time is to commit ourselves to the transformative process and to, uh, to the divine therapy in it in a non-conceptual form of meditation that can heal the emotional wounds of our lifetime and enable us then to manifest the love of God in our behavior insofar and as the Holy Spirit may inspire each of us given our talents and capacities. So each one of us has an enormous accountability for being human in this moment of time where what we actually do with the rest of our lives can actually save this planet,
0: or not. Do you think we could end, Father Thomas, with a, with a prayer? Would you be willing to invoke a prayer for this, sure. really what we've yeah. done here together, which is creating a, a program to communicate how to do Centering Prayer and, and what the process is like, a map yes. of that journey. Okay. For the, for the, let's well,
1: Holy Spirit of God, you fill the whole world with your wisdom. Help everyone to receive it into their hearts and to open ourselves to every human being in forgiveness, compassion, and love. May the practice of Centering Prayer contribute to this transformation of society and lead many and uh, more and more people into the transforming process of oneness, and uh, equality, and happiness. So we ask for this and everything else that is in our hearts at this moment, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you and your excellent staff for their kind hospitality. And we welcome you sometime if you get across the Rocky Mountains to visit the monastery. We make cookies out there. (laughs) We'll hope hope to give you something to bring home with. Thank you. Thanks so much for your support and interest. And thanks to all of you folks again for... Your encouragement of being with us and encouraging our our humble, modest efforts to be stewards of God's love. Thank Thank you.
0: This concludes part two of our interview with Father Thomas Keating on Insights at the Edge. Sounds True is launching a new online course with Father Thomas Keating that goes live on January 20th, 2010. It's an in depth training course in the practice of centering prayer. You can go to soundstrue.com for more details. SoundsTrue.com, many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening.